0: So CVA team, uh, it's John Burns here uh, from the Education Capability with Tyler Kateski from our policy shop. And uh, this is part of our ongoing series of policy one pagers that we are recording for those of you who prefer not to read. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the, the foreign policy priority initiative and in particular our policy regarding the rebalancing of constitutional war powers uh, we're doing this on, uh, on January 13th, which is probably a good day and a good week to be talking about this, uh, cause as we'll probably touch on before this is over, there's a couple of resolutions that have, uh, popped up on the congressional calendar that, uh, that, uh, May may call for some action and are tangential to this, or actually not even tangential, right? They directly impact this, right, Tyler? So, um, so, uh, so you know, just just to review, Congress has long shied away from its duties to authorize and oversee uh, military actions throughout the, the the last few decades of history, and um, we've just seen a gradual drift away from the the understood constitutional balance of war powers between the branches. Uh, Congress has just left war-making decisions almost entirely, if not entirely, to the executive branch. Uh, And we've basically gotten into the danger uh, and we've seen repeated iterations of unwisely entering or being kind of dragged into a lingering conflicts um, that have little or nothing to do with our national interest. Uh, with with virtually no oversight and with little to no public debate. I think the last time we really saw any kind of congressional and public debate was probably 2002, uh, looking at Iraq. Uh, and we're dealing, and again, we'll touch on, on some of the legislation around this that's starting to pop up, outdated authorizations for use of military force um, that perpetuate these dangers. Um, they need to be repealed, and we need to reform the 1973 War Powers Resolution, which is kind of the, the the base legislation that that we work off of for most of our kind of um, congressional oversight and military operations decision making in the last four decades or so. So, so Tyler, welcome, and uh, love to have you give us a little background on this if you want to run us through the background for this.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me, John. Um, so, you know, you I think you laid out the, the essence of the problem pretty well, which is that. Well, I was just uh, quoting you, so. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> hey, it's, it's, I love citing myself uh, whenever I can. It's always a great feeling. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this it really comes down to how our founders con- conceived of the way that our republic should be structured. And so, you know, a lot of it, we think of James Madison as the father of the Constitution, and he had this great quote that he wrote um, in a in a letter, uh, I think in the the 1790s basically, uh, describing kind of his conception of uh, war powers basically. and He says, the constitution supposes uh, and what the history of all governments demonstrates that the executive is the branch of power most interested in war and most prone to it. It has accordingly with studied care, it being the constitution, uh, has vested the question of war to the legislature. So what he's saying is that, you know, it's just kind of by nature of the incentives in politics throughout history, you know, the, the uh, executive branch, whether it's a, a king, a president, whoever else, you know, is, is the, the branch that's going to be uh, most likely to be you know, interested in starting conflict, but because he doesn't bear the costs, unlike the people. And because the legislature represents the people who will ultimately bear the costs of war, um, it's, it's important that uh, they have a say to make sure that we're not getting into wars that are uh, ill considered. We should be you know, ready to go if we need to, and it's really important, but you know, not doing so willy-nilly when we don't have to.
0: Sure, sure. So I think I think most of the team knows that you know it's it's Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution that assigns that that in our system that that authority to declare war, to, de- to, to declare a state of war, to authorize the making of war and major military actions to Congress. Um, you know, we 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 we've seen that you know both used and ignored um, throughout the history of the United States. Um, I think we can acknowledge that starting with or starting after World War II, we saw a change in the way Americans started to go to war. And, and the first couple of wars after World War II, the Korean War and the Vietnam conflict led to some legislation, right? And that's what we're talking about today. Tell us a little bit about that War Powers Resolution in 1973.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, So as you mentioned, right, uh, after World War II, you had uh, the Korean War uh, basically declared a, a police action and, and authorized through a UN resolution. You had uh, our involvement, our larger conventional involvement in Vietnam authorized through the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, um, which was basically sort of just a open-ended authorization to go in and stay however long. Um, and basically as as the, the sentiment against the Vietnam War increased uh, and you had ultimately after Uh, LBJ, you had Richard Nixon in office and there was already lots of scrutiny against the executive anyway, for lots of reasons in that administration, you had uh, the uh, impulse to pass the War Powers Resolution in 1973. And this basically recognized the reality that sometimes uh, situations that we might uh, feel the need to deploy troops might not be as clear cut uh, as formally declaring a war but that doesn't mean that Congress still shouldn't be involved and give their consent and exercise uh, continued oversight. And so what the War Powers Resolution 1973 said is that you know, if the president deploys troops uh, into hostilities in a foreign country, he's got to notify Congress in 48 hours that he's done so. And then if he doesn't get congressional approval to stay there through an authorization for the use of military force, he then uh, has to withdraw them within 60 days. Um, and there's the extra, I guess, 30 day window that you get to, to keep withdrawing um, rather than allegedly substantively still using force and whatnot. Bottom line is that this is a pretty wishy washy, hard to enforce um, statute on the books. It's well intended. You know, I'm glad that Congress thought to try to attempt to put some oversight there, but it's just proven the incentives have not been there yeah. for Congress to hold uh, the executive accountable. Yeah.
0: So running through kind of my memory, because I'm old enough to remember barely 1973, um, you know, since then we've had military deployments that resulted in conflict and or, you know, attacks on U.S. forces in uh, Grenada, in uh, Lebanon in multiple occasions. Uh, in uh, Panama, in, uh, in in Kuwait, Iraq, uh, in Kosovo, and in Bosnia-Herzegovina to a lesser extent. Uh, we've seen it in Iraq again, Afghanistan. Uh, we've seen other things that are, are not quite as well known, like the, the Philippines in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, Yemen recently, Libya, uh, the Libyan War. Uh, of those, how many, how many did they... Pay hey, any kind of even lip service or respect to that 1973 war
1: powers act yeah well like the, when when congress has, has really uh meaningfully invoked it to enforce deadlines being ignored or kind of you know cooked more or less to allow things to go on for longer than they should have been there's really uh, very limited instances um in, in in recent times you know that's uh, well, actually, yeah, the, the, I guess in recent times, the, the one time where it was, we had, so in, in Kosovo, there was a lot of uh, backlash that Congress uh, was getting ready to potentially invoke it. And I believe, you know, fortunately, the Clinton administration got out, like, just in the nick of time, but within the 90-day window rather than the, the 60-day window they were supposed to. Um, you know, but uh, more recently, you might remember uh, in 2013, the debate over uh you know more large scale syria involvement to try to topple assad and there was rightly tons of concern that we'd effectively be functioning as the air force for a lot of these you know radical uh Islamist groups like the al nusra front al nusra um, al qaeda in syria yeah, isis so. indirectly playing into the hands of isis exactly um and so you know it was it was the the uh, public sentiment that uh, the Obama administration wouldn't get an AUMF, uh, as the War Powers Resolution would demand. That you know, ultimately, probably prevented our larger scale involvement. But ultimately, the administration, you know, it's still obviously conducting and and going into uh, Trump's term, you know, still doing unauthorized operations there in Libya in 2011. You know, that was, I think, in most recent memory, the first real case of um, just completely blowing the deadline on the resolution uh, without regard for, you know, congressional consideration whatsoever. And that's obviously been a disaster.
0: But I mean, that was okay, because the president and two influential senators told us that the UN was behind us, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's funny how that works, because, you know, uh, the the UN, even if that was the excuse, uh, we even went beyond what the UN resolution was, which was only to do basically a a no-fly zone, and it turned into regime change, which, uh, you know, certainly got Russia pissed off, and you see kind of in some ways how they indirectly responded in, in Crimea unfortunately yeah and it, and it just Car- Car- proves March.
0: that proves that kind of axiom that you know there's no situation that military force can't make worse so, mm-hmm. so yeah so, so, so it, we so, so going on to it we want to, we want to talk about those those 2001 and 2002 aUMFs or authorization for military force use, military authorization for use of military force let's get it right AUMF <laughs> authorization for use of military force and the 2001, Uh, authorization for use use of military force was specifically pointed at al-Qaeda and the elements that, that may have supported it or would continue to support it after because of the 9-11 attacks, right? So it was specifically about those attacks and terrorist forces and governments that might support those terrorist forces that were involved. And then the 2002 authorization for use of military force was about, I
1: think it was about weapons of mass destruction, right? We were. This, this was about a regime change in Iraq. It was just against the government of Iraq, basically. So um, so
0: those 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 authorizations are now approaching 20, 18, and 20 years on their, their kind of sell by dates uh, and yet, they're still the two authorizations for use of military force that we conduct most of our operations throughout, especially throughout the Greater Middle East. But but almost everywhere, when we talk about the global war on terror as well, is that right?
1: Absolutely, and this really gets to the heart of why um, we need broader war powers reform. These are both instances in which. Uh, the War Powers Resolution was abided by because the president said, "Hey, I want an AUMF. We need to respond to these threats." Congress said, "Okay, we'll give you this authorization to go do that." Unfortunately, there's uh, no requirements that any of these ever have to be sunsetted, so they're they're really open-ended at this point. And as you say, particularly about the 2001 AUMF, um, this has been. At, at this point, less than a fifth of current members of Congress, um, even in the 115th Congress, this last one, but even, even smaller percentage now sitting in the 116th have ever voted on this. You know, we're basically, like you say, two decades later, it's been invoked 41 times at least in uh, 18 plus countries since 2001. So it's hard for I think most people to imagine that anyone who voted on this could have imagined it would ever be used in the scope uh, that it has been, considering that this was about tracking down Al-Qaeda and the folks responsible for 9-11. You know we've, We took care of bin Laden a long time ago, and that obviously this is being used to meet completely different threats now as our foreign policy concerns and landscapes have changed since then. Um, so re-
0: so regarding those AUMFs, what uh, what are we looking at in terms of policy? What are we asking? Like, what is the government, what is Lewis Cardona and the government affairs team going to be telling offices? What are we going to ask people if, if they're able to do office visits in the next couple of months to be telling their congressmen and their
1: senators? What would we like to see regarding those two? So we got some pretty uh, concrete things that we think can uh, make the War Powers Resolution have more teeth and be more effective at making sure that um, congressional authorization isn't just a rubber stamp, yeah. blank check sort of affair. So these so, are
0: so we are asking that we are asking that
1: Congress repeal those, right? I mean, that that's... yes. First of all, <laughs> first of all, we want to get rid of these these uh, two AUMFs, the 2001 and 2002 AUMFs, because they're outdated and no longer uh, serve a purpose. They're irrelevant to current missions. And we do know? have
0: we do have a potential vehicle for that to happen this this Congress, don't we?
1: Yeah, there, there, I think uh, there are likely uh, some bills being introduced by uh, Barbara Lee, and we'll see um, if others get introduced as well. So, uh, you know, often we see this come through standalone bills, but then also through National Defense Authorization Act amendments, um, you know, part of the annual defense budgeting process. So there are multiple paths for these that we'll be keeping you updated about for engagement opportunities. Yeah, but right, first, now,
0: right now that's HR 255 and HR 256, as you pointed out, right? Both introduced by representative Bar- Barbara, Lee, um, both, um, they have in the thirties for co-sponsors. Um, and the, you know, the predominance of those co-sponsors so far over the last couple of days have been Democrats. Uh, we've seen one Republican sign on to one of them and three onto the other. Uh, but, but obviously this is, this is where we're probably going to have, government affairs and, and the state ops team as they support government affairs directing their initial efforts. As you point out, that could change with, you know, this bill being folded or these bills being folded into the NDA as amendments or other, you know, other folks sponsoring similar bills, depending on how the legislative year goes. But this is where we're going to be looking at the beginning, right?
1: And and, and uh, some state teams have taken it upon themselves to uh, introduce kind of state-based resolutions calling for a broader end to endless wars and aumf repeal or powers reform along these lines as well so you know florida and montana are already looking into that and that's something that you know other states can get in touch as well yeah. and, you know we've got text we can we can give you
0: i know north um, carolina is looking into it as well they're uh, they're probably gonna um echo the uh the florida bill in terms of language um, just because of the close relationship that some of the leadership has um, <laughs> <laughs> there now, but but yeah, folks, as you're listening, uh, there are, there are lots of opportunities to do this, and if if you're trying to figure out how to have your state. You know, do its best. Obviously, you can reach out to headquarters. Tyler, uh, Lewis, uh, you know, M- Melissa Fowles, as appropriate, depending on where your target is. If you have any questions? You know, you could start with me. You could start with Tyler. Uh, you could start with Russ. But one of us will, will certainly be happy to to point you in the right direction. Whether you're doing something with a federal office or a state office, we can help you out. So we want Congress to reassert that Article One uh, oversight power, right? Um, you know, we've seen bipartisan Congress recently make history by invoking the War Powers Resolution against uh, the Saudi uh, war in, in Yemen, which we have been supporting logistically and, and with air power. Um, and we, we, want to, we want to see that happen again, don't we?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that was notable in that, that, you know, passed both houses of Congress twice and got uh, 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 vetoed. Um, And so to, but that what that that does show you is uh, the the momentum that, you know, we've all been building through uh, grassroots has been really changing or or driving uh, legislators to recognize where public opinion is here. And so, you know, part of what we want to do, in addition to you know, repealing these outdated authorizations is to make sure that there's a basis going forward to ensure that we don't have these, you know, blank check AUMFs in the future. We we don't want Congress to say, okay, we'll repeal 2001 and 2002 AUMF and then just pass this, you know, one-time free pass to just deploy troops wherever without oversight, right? Yes, yeah, as,
0: as Senator Tester's staff asked me uh, oh, about a year and a half ago when we were talking to this about this, so are you just for repeal or are you for repeal and replace? Um, and it was said with, you know, no small amount of irony, uh, but we are, we you know, we as, as good policy um, advocates, right? We do have ideas about what we'd like to see these replaced with, right? And we want to, we, we want to first of all, go back and, and rewrite the law um, within that 1973 War Powers Resolution so that it, it Sets a standard, and obviously, no Congress can buy a future Congress. But if we set a standard for what a what a good authorization for use of military force looks like in that law, Congresses are more likely to 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 focus on that. Right. So we want to re- rewrite that War Powers Resolution so that it includes a, a couple of specific um, standards for authorizations for use of military force. You want to talk a little about what some of those are? Sure.
1: Yeah, and they're they're pretty uh, you know concrete, sensible. Uh, oversight points that aren't going to, you know, limit the commander in chief's ability to effectively, you know, carry out a mission. Especially They're responding to crises. Right. These are basic things uh, like, you know, sunsets for AUMFs. Time so, limits. Yeah, right. It, yeah, exactly. A basic time limit. So, you know, we can still pass an AUMF if it's, if it's necessary to respond, but let's make sure that it, it has a two-year time limit. And if the conflict's necessary to continue, Congress can debate that. And those who support it can make the case to the American people. And Congress can have a recorded vote on it so that we're on record and see, you know, who supports uh, a given conflict being in the interest of the U.S. So just, you know, making sure that we're continually checking back. Do we still need to be doing these things rather than letting the sort of force of Washington inertia these things last into perpetuity yeah and and i think one of the things about not having the time
0: limits is is we see we could see a small minority in congress um kind of drive the conversation hold things hostage um insert languages into bill just to get support from their caucus um that precludes um wise use uh, when there's no time limit right so so this kind of forces everybody's hand to play by the same rules to be transparent and and to go on record, right? Rather than letting a couple of surrogates go on record and extend things, this would force everyone in Congress to say whether they wanted to extend or or not extend the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, you know, our our deployments to Syria and the region, our our, our support for the the Yemeni, um, you know, the Saudi forces against the Yemenis, and at all, right? Everywhere mm-hmm. we're talking about.
1: G- given the the you know, Congress is on unwillingness basically to more actively step up with the lack of time limits over the past 50 years, really making sure that any AUMF has to have them is the best way to sort of uphold that spirit of the constitution that James Madison uh, was referencing in that quote earlier. So, you know, some some other uh, things that we can do to keep these, you know, specific and narrow and not blank checks are basically uh, geographic and mission specificity so one of the problems of the 2001 AUMF was that it was you know talking about uh you know going after al-qaeda and the Taliban you had later guidance about uh associated uh or actually it didn't even I don't know that they even said al-qaeda and the Taliban it was the people who uh actors responsible for yeah, for the 9-11 attacks. And then there was later guidance about associated forces, uh, which has just become this open book to use against anyone remotely terror adjacent, whether or not they were related to those attacks at all. And so we'd like to see uh, future AUMS be very limited in, so that we know exactly what we're using it to to target and avoid mission creep. And if there is a need to expand a mission or target a new enemy then okay but that's just another opportunity for congress to approve it as the constitution intends um and and so just you know again making sure that it's not this blank check um and then you know i I think another uh kind of more granular restriction there is is limits on on uh deploying ground troops so you know conventional ground combat restrictions so there's a difference between you know, an air campaign or maybe inserting special operators as advisors, right? And like, these are both serious actions that we should be deliberate about, but that's different from a full-scale occupation along the lines of Iraq or Afghanistan. And so we should uh, ensure that if any AUMF is going to be used as the basis to do that, that that sort of escalation of force use requires its own separate AUMF authorizing things on that much bigger scale that's harder to get out of. Um, again, making sure that Congress is involved as the constitution and founders intended.
0: Well, as a guy who's been in the Army and Marine Corps, the, which is like the ground forces, Forces, um, I think it's a pretty good idea, right? I mean, uh, the U.S. has a preponderance of air and naval power in the world. Um, we can we can shape, as we call it in the military, shape the environment through the use of air, naval um, surveillance, intelligence, propaganda, civil affairs. But when you when you start putting boots on the ground to to go toe to toe, I mean, first of all, um, that's like the most serious. As you point out, the most serious level of conflict. It's also where it's the most the greatest amount of casualties are produced, including for the American public, right? And the American fighting man, you know, deserves, I think, deserves Congress weighing in, except in the case of emergency. Uh, and even in the case of emergency, if we're talking about prolonging it, right? We, we want to make sure that we have, again, kind of ties together a time limit, a geographic limit, mission specificity, and then how we expect ground forces to be employed. It really should just all be kind of part of every package when we, when we do this, right?
1: Absolutely. You know, and this is, at the end of the day, this is about, yeah, as we've talked about in the past, you know, honoring our troop sacrifice, if they're willing to have the courage to put on the uniform and go into harm's way uh, in defense of our, our country, Congress should have the courage to do a basic vote about putting them there. And, you know, that's that's really what not only the constitution demands, but just, you know, in terms of the role of government, what we should demand from our representatives. And that's why we hope that, war powers reform can you know uh, bring that ideal closer to reality
0: so so again no blank checks right we're we're we're, mm-hmm. we're going to be as we roll through 2021 and our, our our national brand strategy this year, as we roll through this policy policy agenda, you know, if we ever get the opportunity um, to, to to talk to folks on the Hill about this in the future, uh, if we uh, if we you know whether it's office visits, if we get to do those, or even if if we're just doing you know virtual Zoom meetings with staffers and we're doing patch throughs, that's going to be a key part of the message, right? No more blank checks, right? We we just we don't want that to happen. And we've seen that over the past 20 years, right? Where, where when we discuss the 2001 AUMF, um, Congress just kind of rubber stamps it, right? Keep, you know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And, uh, you know, I'm gonna wrap up my portion of this kind of a, opinion side of it with, you know, what I've been saying about um, Afghanistan. You know, we've been there 20 years. Uh, I, was, uh, I was there on the first day of the war uh, in, with Afghanistan uh, in New York City. Um, I was in Afghanistan a few years later. Uh, I know what the country looks like. I know what the mission has shaped up to be. Um, and nothing's going to change on the ground there uh, as long as we keep doing what we, we've been doing. Right. So, so, this is a direct part of that. Um, but this is why Congress shouldn't pass blank checks. Right. We have American forces in Afghanistan 20 years now, um, almost after we, we started deploying them there. And they've, you know, they most of what they achieved, they achieved within the first year or two.
1: Absolutely. Um, when we think about the last time we were in a situation like this, Vietnam, it was ultimately the actions of Congress in you know, threatening to defund future operations and using their constitutional power of the purse that ultimately forced the president to finally withdraw. And you know that spirit of reasserting those Article 1 powers and making sure Know that the voice of the public is influencing decisions that the public have to pay for. You know, with lives and treasure, um, is is crucial just to how a republic works, and that's why you know getting these war powers right is uh, so crucial.
0: Anything else before we wrap?
1: I think we're pretty set, John. All right. Well, me.
0: Well, 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 I'm John Burns, the director of education, and this is Tyler Kateski, and he is the was a senior policy analyst now for for at AFP's policy shop, but he he is the policy lead for for all things foreign policy within the grassroots capability. Uh, and thank you for your time today. Um, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back soon. We've got some some more policy one-pagers as uh, as they shape up. That'll be appearing, and we're going to be doing some one-offs where we talk about some side notes to some of these. So look for, for all of that in the future, team. We'll talk to you real soon. John Burns out.